We are in Romans, and we're in chapter 13, and uh, this is not super exciting chapter this week. It's uh, practical. That's what it is, and so that means that um, it's not going to be super stimulating theologically. In fact, I think it's a chapter that most of us try to avoid as much as possible uh, because it deals with how we live with government, authorities, and pay taxes. All the things we love to do, right? And so uh, this chapter, as we're going to go through it tonight, I want you to realize that Paul moved into the practical in chapter 12. We've left behind a lot of the theological understanding and moved just, okay, you've got all this theology now. How do we live as Christians? How, how do we conduct ourselves? And understanding that you and I are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, uh, you know, how do we interact with the kingdoms of this earth or the governments and, and countries, uh, the, uh, the uh, municipalities and all these things? And so Romans chapter 13 is going to go into that. But let me go ahead and pray and then we will get into the text tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. And we pray, dear God, that you might give us understanding May we honor you, Lord, in all things, Lord, for you are the Lord of us and the God of us, and far be it from us to tell you what we should do and how we should act and who we should pay honor to and who we should submit to and who we should pay our taxes to. And so, Lord, here we are. We are surrendering before your authority in our lives, and we ask, Lord, that you might teach us and that we might represent you well in our community and in this country. And so we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we left off in Romans chapter 12. And toward the end of Romans 12, uh, in Romans 12, 17 through 19, we read, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to the wrath to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so as we were in Romans chapter 12, and we understood how we are to conduct ourselves with other people, and we saw that this, hey, we're not to repay evil for evil, you might have been challenged a little bit, well, what does that mean if someone steals from me, or someone murders, or what about another country coming in and committing, uh, starting a war? Do we have the right to do that? And that's really where Romans 13 comes in. So as far as the Christian believer goes, we make it a goal to live at peace with others. We don't want to try to cause fights, and we, wanna, we, wanna, we don't want to repay evil for either evil. Rather, we want to show and be exemplary as far as the grace of God in our own lives, and, uh, and we also don't uh, take vengeance upon others. That's for God. Uh, and we trust him. And that's the difference between a Christian or a born-again believer who submits to the Lord. We say, okay, Lord, that you've said vengeance is yours. I'm surrendering that to you. And I'll, I'll let you have that. But what about the government? How does that work? Well, that's where we get into chapter 13. So let's go ahead and read uh, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities... For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, right away, 
I can tell you that uh, many uh, conservative Christian Americans are having a hard time. You're, you're, you're sweating here. What do you mean no authority except, or exists except that from God uh, when we see those who are doing evil or in authority or evil? And we need to understand this. Uh, and all the way through this passage, you might say, well, what does the Greek say? And I'll tell you right now, it's really simple and our translations are really solid. Okay, so you're not going to get your way out of these, these subjects. All right. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. It means what it says, and it says what it means. As Paul is telling you how we live in our societies, we should subject ourselves, submit ourselves to the governing authorities. Because we recognize that every authority is there from God. And every authority is appointed by God. So if you are in a place where you are resisting authority, where you are... are uh, be it from local authority, your uh, law enforcement, to your judges, to uh, your local uh, mayor, to the governor, to whoever going on up. If you're in a place where you're just resisting, you're actually dealing, resisting God and not just man. So you might say, well, but I don't like the person who's in authority. Okay, uh, that's fair enough. Now, listen, Americans, citizens of the United States, we actually have something really special that many other countries don't have. We have the ability to vote and change it. Now, you might say, well, I did vote, and they still won. <laughs> and I would say, well, what does that say about our society? What does it say about the people? Because oftentimes in Scripture, we see that God chastises nations with evil or wicked leaders, kings. God chastises people or gives them representation that best represents them. And that, that is a, a oftentimes a very good commentary on the people of that nation is their leadership and who they are. Now, I, I want to say that regarding the Christian life, who that leader is, it doesn't so much matter. And by the way, this passage is not saying don't vote. This passage is actually, we should vote uh, because the Bible gives us, or the, the, the authority of the United States gives us that opportunity to actually voice our opinion, our, our, who, what, who we think will do a good job, and it allows us to also limit evil. But at the same time, when that vote is finished and that person is in authority, we are not to take a position where we are storming a Capitol building or even a protest of a Capitol building. Uh, we're not to take a position where we are just saying, hey, you know what, he's not my governor or he's not my president or he's not my, no, he represents you and he's your authority. And so we subject ourselves to him. Now, where does that authority end? Well, the authority only ends when it's calling for disobedience to God. God is our highest authority our ultimate authority. And so the, the authority of the governing, uh, the governors or presidents or whoever is in our country, uh, that ends when it's about disobedience to God. Look at Acts 4, 18 through 20. I will put it up here. It says, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. 
And so we see that Peter and John have been put in a position where the governing authorities over the temple and uh, have told them, no, you're not to speak this name Jesus anymore. You're not to go around telling anybody about him raised from the dead. You're not to promote this anymore. You're just to be silent on the matter. And they said, listen, uh, we can't. We, we're going to speak these things. Now, what do you call that? That's civil disobedience, okay? They're not going out getting an army together and saying, hey, let's, let's start a riot here. Let's, let's get everybody going on this. They're, they're not trying to bring down the system or anything like that. But rather, they're just saying, hey, listen, you're calling us to disobedience against God. We won't do that. We're going to be obedient to God, and we're going to continue speaking the word. And if you arrest us, we'll be arrested, and we'll speak the word in prison. And if you kill us, that's the way it is, okay? And that's always been the approach of the disciples and the apostles. It's, it's, it's been the approach, uh, the example we see throughout the New Testament of those who have been martyred for their faith, uh, that they, they're not out to start up a coup or a revolt or get a civil war going. They're there to preach the gospel. Now, you might ask yourself, you might ask the question, well, what about the Revolutionary War? Wasn't that just uh, going against God's authority? Well, I'll tell you this much. If you look at the history of our founding fathers, they never tried to split from, from the King of England. Actually, they tried very hard to reconcile with the King of England. They actually tried very hard to use every means necessary to do that. But as the Declaration of Independence states, these abuses were never answered. And it led to this separation between the United States of America and the King of England. So, but that's a whole other lesson for another time. Uh, we're talking really about how we today are going to conduct ourselves in our society. So we're su to submit ourselves to our governing authorities with the exception of disobedience to God. So let's look at verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. But do you want to be un uh, unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. And the idea here is pretty simple. Um, rulers are put in place to stabilize society and community. The rulers are not put in place or, or authorities to destabilize. And we recognize that that does happen from time to time within uh, countries and nations and things of that sort. But, but here Paul is saying, and by the way, Paul is writing under the reign of Emperor Nero. He was a terrible emperor of, of the Roman Empire. But these things are true, and they're true for the Christian, and they're always true because it's the word of God. And so he says, listen... Rulers are not to be a terror to good works, but to evil. And, and that's what they do. They enforce um, uh, penalties against those who would do evil. Now, listen, what about a, an authority who abuses his position for evil? Well, guess what? He will stand before God. And he will be judged based on his abuse of authority. And yes, I, I believe there's a lot of judges and justices that have done evil in the name of their own, uh, their own power and their authority, and they're going to have to give an account. Just like every pastor, will, as a minister of God, will have to give an account for everything set up here on this pulpit. Every single word. I'm terrified, just so you know. But it's one of those things that 
if you're called by God, you can't not but do what he says. And so uh, every authority, your judge, every ruler, uh, Saddam Hussein at the judgment, uh, the great white throne judgment, he will stand there and he'll answer for everyone he tortured, every single one. And it'll be a fearful and dreadful day, the Bible says. And I don't know how God is going to do that, but I, 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 I trust God and I believe him and I believe he'll give recompense for everything done. And so we read in 1 Peter chapter 2 something very similar to this idea. 1 Peter 2.13 says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This is how we're supposed to live. Now, I, I recently we had that uh, uh, pro-life uh, Father, the father who was pro-life and and uh, was arrested wrongfully by the FBI. The FBI raided his house. Of course, you remember. Well, he was just found completely innocent in all the charges, and we recognize that that was an abuse of authority. And so does God, and so did the people. And uh, but that doesn't mean that because that abuse of authority happened, that we are to go and just throw up our hands and say, "Well, forget it. I'm not going to submit then." Because we're not to repay evil for evil. That's not the way the Christian lives. And oftentimes when people do that, what they do, it looks more like the French Revolution. By the way, the French Revolution was very different than the American Revolution. The French Revolution went around just uh, sequestering every single noble, every, every person of wealth, every, every, uh, all of the, the monarchy, and just put them all to death. And they took what they had. It was a very different revolution. It was, it was done a, more of like mob justice than anything else. And so that's not the way the Christian is supposed to act. So verse 4 says, for he is God's minister to you for good. Notice that. He is God's minister. That authority is also God's minister. Just like I'm a minister, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a minister of governing authority uh, for your good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. I understand this, and some of you in our fellowship here are in law enforcement or trying to go into law enforcement. And uh, you are God's minister. That's, uh, God has put you there. You might not have thought of yourself as a minister, but, but that's where God has put you. And God has put you there to, to uh, enforce, uh, to, to make sure that the evil are, or good people are protected from the evil and that, that uh, you, you'll, you have the right to bear the sword. And of course, obviously, we recognize that justices are God's ministers, judges, and we're to recognize that, uh, that they have that authority. And so if you do evil, you should rightfully be afraid because you've done wrong and you're deserving judgment for that from the authorities. But if you do good, you, sh you, you shouldn't have to worry about that. For, for the 
minister for God's authority, governors, are his ministers. Now, notice it says an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Obviously, that's the penalty. So this is where it comes down to, well, what about don't repay anyone evil for evil? And this is where we see the difference between God's establishment of government to stabilize society and community and your own personal life. And so what does this look like? Well, you as an, a Christian, someone breaks into your house and you uh, grab your baseball bat or in my case, a flamethrower. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> so, but that would be awesome. Just burn the whole house down, right? No. <laughs> No, <laughs> RPG, yeah, like way overkill. So, uh, so you grab your whatever, I heard a noise, and you go there, and sure enough, there's a bad guy there, and you take him out. Uh, and, and whatever happens, you've, you've subdued him. Well, obviously, you had no intent to do the man harm, but you also recognized that this man intended to do harm, so you protected your family, your household, which is very godly, by the way, to, to, to guard those who are weaker. Uh, but now what do you do? Do you just say, oh, you know what? I'm really sorry I hit you. Uh, please go. Uh, what do you want? Here, let me give that to you. No, you know what you can say? You can say, okay, well, sit here. We're, the police are on their way. Uh, I, why, you know, you can pray for them, whatever the case is. You don't have to show ill will or malice toward them. When the police come and they arrest them, you share with the police because the fact is this person could be going around to other people doing the same thing. And, and when, the, when the person ends up in court and you have to go and show up, you, you can say, I hold no, no malice towards this person. I've forgiven them as God has commanded me to do so. But here's what they did. Let, let the judge handle it. That's his role, not yours anymore. Do you understand that idea? Now, I've never had that problem at all. Praise God, I sleep well every night. And the, sometimes there have been cats or raccoons, but, but I couldn't get them anyway. So nonetheless, um, and you know why I've never had that problem? Because I live in a good community, in a good city where police are doing their job and justices are doing their, what, what God has called them to be and praise God for them. Because I certainly want to, wouldn't want to be in a community as we've seen lately, these cities that have become overrun with crime because no one will prosecute and they're letting people out and all these sorts of things. And so uh, th that's one of those areas why also it's really important for you as a believer to vote and, and uh, exercise the, the rights that God has given to you. And so uh, here we also read about this idea of the, the minister having, uh, being an avenger to execute wrath. And, uh, and so let's talk for a moment about the death penalty. What does the Bible say about the death penalty? There's a lot of different perspectives in the Christian world. And I'm going to give you the biblical perspective on this. Just like I am about the IRS, or, no, wait, hold on, taxes, uh, <laughs> just like I will about governing authorities, okay? I'm going to give you the biblical perspective, and then you can do with it what you will, but I hope you'll be obedient. So let's talk about this. Well, first of all, we're told that this person does not bear the sword in vain. That means that they have a sword, and by the way, a sword means a sword. It's the idea of, of putting someone to death, a death penalty. But this goes all the way back to Genesis, this idea of the death penalty. And 
in Genesis chapter 9, Noah and his sons get off the ark. And God has judged the earth. He's flooded it. He's given them this covenant of the rainbow. Actually, he kind of gives it after what he's going to say. But he establishes a covenant with Noah, and it is a covenant about life. So that's what's important. God desires that, that, that there would be life and life would excel. And so he talks to Noah about procreation in this covenant, about what you can eat and what, you, what you're not to eat. And in that, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 5, we read, Surely for the lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it. And from the hand of a man. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful, multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply in it. And so God is telling Noah what he requires. And with that, he says as, they, as they're off the ark and they're getting started, saying, I will demand a reckoning. A reckoning from who? Well, well, Noah and his sons at this point have a responsibility if someone takes the life of a man, that, that they're not to be allowed to, to continue taking life, to murder. And, and we see that God carries this out. Now, this is the role of government, not our role. Uh, role. We don't have that role as, a, as a, just a citizen in the community. This is a role of government. And praise God for our system. Obviously, we have a a system set up with a, peer of, uh, a jury of your peers, and, and there's some wonderful safeguards in this. But, but notice that, that as far as God's concerned, he will not allow it. Numbers 35, verses 30 through 31, we get uh, it with the law that God gave to, to the Israelites. He says, if anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. So you can't buy him back. So you shall not pollute the land where you, uh, where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. So God is telling the Israelites that if there's a murderer, if someone goes and murders, I demand that that person be put to death because there can be no atonement made except by his blood. That's what God says. And then in verse 33, oh, sorry, we already read 33 about the polluting of the land. So a Christian can at the same time show personal kindness and pray for the eternal salvation and forgiveness of those who wrong them, and at the same time pursue justice through civil courts and desire that the wrongdoer be paid back for the wrong they have done. There's no problem there for the Christian to, to do both things, show personal kindness and uh, forgiveness for those that, the one who's wrong, but also desire that justice be given, and the, the wrongdoer be paid back for what they've done wrong. And here's the perfect example of it in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 10. We read, um, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. 
And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, in this scene, we see that these people have already been put to death wrongfully. These are the righteous that, that have died during the tribulation, the Antichrist, the beast, the whole world system. They've put them to death. And there they are below the throne of God. So we're, they're, not, they're not in a sinful state or a state of vengeance. But here they are righteous before God crying out for judgment. They're saying, how long, O oh Lord, will you allow this? How long until you judge and avenge our blood? They're giving it over to the Lord. And so we see this idea of, of uh, you can be a Christian and still ask uh, for the wrongdoer to be paid back for the wrong that they have done. Of course, we are to forgive um, and uh, bring our petitions before God. So <clears throat> regarding the death penalty, the, the Bible is pretty... Um, I, I, I find it really hard when people try to say that the death penalty is not a biblical idea. I think it's a very biblical idea. Now, I think it's a very serious thing and should be taken very seriously. And, and uh, it's, you know, it shouldn't be just done, given out willy-nilly. But certainly when we see atrocities happen where someone who deserves the death penalty or deserves to be in jail, they go out and they commit murder and uh, you see something like that, you, you and I, we all cry out, Lord, how could this judge have let that individual out? How could the judge have not been just and dealt with them? Because they've gone and done it to someone else. And so, so that's where, where our ministers, uh, the ministers are for our, our good. And when they don't minister, they'll stand before God too. So Roman, let's, let's look at verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Here it is. We're getting ready for this. Everybody getting all the tax stuff together. Favorite time of the year. For there are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. So we pay taxes to support uh, these ministers. Render therefore all, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. And honor to whom honor. Now I want to say something about that word render. Uh, that word render means to give back. Okay, it's the... Uh, apodidomi. And, and it means to give back. And the idea is you, you have this, but you're to give it back. And so you should see taxes in that way. It's your civic responsibility. Now, if you don't like how much you pay in taxes, praise God, you have a ballot. You can use it. And, and if everybody's voting different than you, I'm sorry, welcome to the society you live in, okay? That's just the way it is. But, but that is not an excuse to cheat on your taxes. It's not an excuse. Now, I think it's totally good to find every write-off you can and figure out every legal way you can to pay as little as possible to the government. That's a great idea. Do that because those are legal avenues that God has given to us through our governing authorities. But we're not to cheat on our taxes. We're not to uh, hide our income. We're to give back. And Jesus was actually questioned about this in Matthew 22. They, they questioned, they came up to Jesus to try to, to, to trick him on this very subject. And we see his answer here in Matthew 22, verses 18 through 22. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarii. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. They said to them, render, that's that same word, give back, therefore to Caesar, the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. 
When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. By the way, do you know when this happens? This is in the last week of Christ's life. He's getting ready to go to the cross, and he gives a teaching about taxes. (laughs) So this is important. It's important for the Christian. And so Paul uses that very same word, give back, render it. And I know right now you guys are probably like, man, I should have come to church tonight. (laughs) But that's what we do at Calvary Chapel. We teach the whole word. And uh, even if we don't want to talk about it. And this is definitely not a popular topic, right? But, but so Paul goes on in verse 8 and says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, the, the NIV, I think, actually does a better job with the translation of this. And not, not because uh, the, the literal is what you're reading. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. That would be the literal translation. But the NIV, uh, I think, picks a little bit better up on the intent. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another is what the NIV uh, actually renders this. And, and here's what I mean by that. There's, this is not a prohibition against the proper use of credit, okay? Uh, what it's doing is it's underscoring a Christian's obligation to pay their debt, Okay, so we can't uh, say, I think the rapture might be coming, let's run up the credit cards, right? You'll be sorry, trust me. Uh, and for a Christian to run up a credit card or run up credit debt and then just have no intent of paying and going and filing bankruptcy, you know what that's called? Stealing, okay? That's how the Bible calls stealing. Uh, and so that's not the attitude of a Christian. The Christian is to pay their debt. In so doing, they are representing Christ. And so uh, there, obviously there is a proper use of credit and, uh, you know, buying a car, a house, those sorts of things. And I know that there's differing views on these things. But uh, this is not a prohibition against ever having any debt. And I, first of all, if you can buy the house outright in cash, congratulations. Especially in Orange County. I'm proud of you. You've done well. Praise God for, for what he's done for you. But uh, so I, I have a 30-year fixer-upper with a 30-year loan. Uh, so, but, uh, but the whole idea is I don't get the opportunity just to say, whenever my wife and I have signed an, a loan agreement, we've always recognized that, okay, we've prayed about it because we recognize we have a responsibility to pay this because I'm a Christian and this is important for me not to default on what I've borrowed we want to pay back. And so, so Paul says, if you're going to owe anyone anything, be it love. Now, by the way, Jesus also emphasizes this, uh, the idea that this is not talking about, about never having any type of debt. In Matthew 5.42, give to him who asks you, and from him who, uh, who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And so here in Matthew 5, as Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, he kind of recognizes that there's going to be borrowing and lending. And, of course, we're not to charge usury if we lend to someone. But uh, if, if this is a total prohibition against ever having any type of loan or any type of debt, uh, that, that would be, uh, Jesus wouldn't have said that. Now, what about debt, though? Let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, we have gotten into a society where it has enslaved people, debt. Uh, the use of credit cards has become too easy. 
the high interest rates. And the worst part about debt is you do not own yourself anymore. You have become a slave to whoever that debt is. In fact, you don't even have the freedom in how you give. Uh, you know, for the Christian, one of the, the exciting things is we know in the Old Testament we were to set aside a tenth unto the Lord. In the New Testament, there's no law about how we give. But in the New Testament, the, the, well, the example that's set before us is freely giving and giving in uh, abundance. And so what we see in the early church is people just giving in abundance because there's, they're happy to give. But only people that are debt-free can give like that. Uh, people that are enslaved to debt, they might be able to give something to the Lord, but they're busy paying debt after debt after debt after debt after debt. And, and they can ne they're never free to say, you know what, I want to give a little extra to this missionary, or I want to give a little extra toward that, or man, I'd love to support that ministry. I'd love to give toward that. So we should consider when we're thinking about enslaving ourselves, who will we enslave ourselves to? And for what? That's an important question to ask. And that should cause you to pause and pray about what kind of debt am I assuming in my life and for my family, and what will it take from? And what freedom will it be taken away from me in doing so? And so this is really a challenge. If you're in a place where you have found yourself in high debt, there are definitely people that can help you. And that doesn't mean that they just come in and pay your debt for you, but they can start giving you godly wisdom and advice about how to climb out of it. And yes, you can climb out of debt. It's, you can get out of it. Sometimes it's, it's a, a haul. Sometimes it's a, a, a long haul. Sometimes it's a, you've got to work toward that goal, but you can do it. And you do it because this is my spiritual act of worship before God. I am going to give him over this. I'm going to climb out of this debt. I'm going to honor him. And I'm not going to be enslaved to others anymore. I'm going to have that freedom I have in Christ. And by the way, it's a wonderful thing to, to be in a place where you can say, man, we want to give extra to this. Or we want to do this. Or we want to bless somebody and help somebody else out uh, with this gift. Uh, that's real freedom to be able to do with the funds that God has provided for you what you want versus being indebted to somebody. And that's the worst part I think about debt is these interest rates, they, they, they enslave quickly. And so let me encourage you, make it your goal to owe no one anything except love to one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And look at what uh, he says here in following up in verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And, there, and if there is any other commandment, all, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, I heard a clip from a, a pastor, and I was kind of shocked at what he was saying. He was going on and on, uh, and I think he was just riling people up. I don't know. Uh, he's a dynamic speaker, and so he's fun to listen to because he's real dynamic, not like me. Um, but, but he was saying something totally false. He was going on and on saying, Jesus broke the law for you. Jesus broke the law for you. That's what he was saying, which is totally false and totally untrue. Jesus fulfilled the law on your behalf. 
And Jesus saved us from the penalty of the law, but Jesus never broke the law. In every way, Jesus fulfilled the law. Now, he went against man's traditions, those things that the traditions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that, that, that those traditions that they put forward of the scribes that were not of God's law, but just man's traditions, he would, he would challenge, he would go against those. But Jesus never broke the law. And, and when we think about the Ten Commandments, now our relationship with the law has changed. Rather than trying to fulfill the law or keep the law for our salvation, we're no longer doing it for our salvation because Jesus has done it. Now we fulfill the law because we are in relationship with Jesus. We're not worried about losing our salvation. We're concerned with loving God and loving others. And so we see in the commandments that all the commandments are summed up as Jesus said, by you loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your soul, and then loving your neighbor. That's, there it is. There's the summation of the commandments. And so Paul here talks about this idea of being indebted in love. And he, and he says, do no harm to your neighbor. And, and here's how you do no harm. You don't commit adultery. Don't go after your neighbor's wife or husband. Do not murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't bring false accusations and, and slander people. Don't covet other people's things. That's the tough one because that's just a, an, an issue of the heart as you dwell on what someone else has done or has. And if there's any other commandment, they're all summed up saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, can you imagine a society where everyone lived this way? It'd be a beautiful place, right? Unfortunately, we live in a fallen world, so we need law enforcement and judges and authorities and things like that. But one day, we'll have the millennial kingdom, okay? All right, so Romans 13, 11, and do this knowing, knowing the time that now is... It is high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And what, what Paul is saying here is that, hey, let's be vigilant, dear Christians. Let's not be asleep. Let's be awake, because we are in a special time. We are in between the two advents of Christ. The first advent has already happened. Jesus has come. And now we are waiting for that second advent. So we shouldn't be, find ourselves just asleep at the will or zoning out. Uh, but rather we should be vigilant. We should recognize that, no, I'm set apart to God. So he says in verse 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand, as he continues with his analogy. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, how do you dress yourself for the day? Each and every one of us put on certain clothes depending on what we're doing, right? If you're getting married... Brides, you put on a bridal gown, right? But you don't wear that bridal gown every day, do you? <laughs> no, because it'd be inappropriate. You certainly don't wear that bridal gown to somebody else's wedding, right? 
They'll be like, how dull are you, right? <laughs> uh, clearly, you want all the attention, right? Uh, and, and, and so if we, if we put on certain clothes, we might find ourselves doing those very things, right? So, so Paul is saying, we're to put on the armor of light. And this can references back both to Thessalonians and Ephesians 6. Uh, and we're to, to walk properly. We're not to put on the clothes of the night, which would be revelry, drunkenness, lewdness, lust, not in strife or envy, because we have been called out from that. So, so Paul says, make no provision for the flesh, but and, and to fulfill its love. So don't dress for going out and partying, so to speak, okay, uh, in lewdness or whatever. Uh, it, we're talking figuratively, right, how you think in your heart. If you set aside time for the lust of the flesh, for lewdness, revelry, drunkenness, if you set aside this space in your heart for doing that, more than likely you're going to go do that, right? And so Paul says, don't, don't, don't get dressed up for that anymore. Dress up with the armor of light, you as a Christian. That's how we're to, we're to put on Christ and put off the, the flesh and put off the fulfillment of its lust. That's how we live now as Christians. Now, does it mean that you will never sin? No, it does not. We've already covered that earlier on in Romans. God, Jesus Christ has done the work for you, but we're not just to go continuing on in sin. We're to surrender our lives wholly to him. And so that's where we're gonna leave it tonight with Romans 13, government, taxes, death penalty, uh, Living with our neighbors, we covered it all, and next week you'll be getting into a little more interesting topics, and that's the law of liberty. What can I do as a Christian? And so we're gonna, we'll get into that next week. But with that said, let me go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together, and uh, Lord, we do want to be the very best citizens in our community, and with that, so Lord, we pray that uh, we might honor you that we might reflect you this year on our taxes, that we might give you the praise as we pay them. Lord, um, we also want to pray for, for those who are ministers of you who, who carry the sword. Lord, we pray for our law enforcement officials, Lord, that you protect them. Lord, we know that the days are evil and they need your protection. So God, we ask that you would give them uh, discernment. Lord, help them to serve justice protect them. And Lord, we also want to pray for our justices, all those who sit in a, a place of judgment. Lord, God, give them wisdom. Lord, help them to be just and honoring to you. Lord, let them look to protect the weak and care for those uh, and, and stand in the, in the way of those who would do evil from doing it. And Lord, we do pray for our governor. We ask, Lord God, for the governor and the state assembly and all these uh, who are in authority, Lord, uh, we dread it at the evil decisions that have been being made, but God, we ask for his salvation. We pray, dear God, that he might repent, and Lord, you might bring a, a new sunrise upon our, our leadership here in California. Lord, bless our country. We don't deserve it, but we're interceding on behalf. Lord, forgive our people who have lived in rebellion, even against your ministers those who you've put in authority. Lord, forgive us. 
May we honor you in all these things. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I do want to just encourage you um, regarding some of these things. If you need prayer, uh, please come get prayer. Uh, If you need um, some help and some wisdom uh, regarding getting out of debt, we have a lot of really wise elders in that area. That uh, What I don't want you to do is leave here just feeling, oh, I'm just terrible and I got to keep hiding this and, and dealing with this burden and uh, please, uh, the church is here for you. We want to we wanna meet you where you're at and, and help you deal with those things. So um, God is so good to us and he's called us out of our old way of living and into a new light. And when we put on this, the, the clothing of God, when we put on the armor of light, we look very different than the old rags of the darkness. And so Look like Christ in all things. Make that your goal. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he bring peace upon your household. And may he provide for you. Amen.